The reading this evening is um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and that's on page 1186, if you're looking at the Red Bibles. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message ran out, rang out from you, and not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Excellent. Well, good evening. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ellie, um, and I'm on the student team here. Um, and um, yeah, if I don't know you, do come and introduce yourself. I'd love to, um, to get to know you. Um, but tonight, we're going to be looking at this chapter that Joe's just read from us from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, and before we do, let's pray that God would speak to us and uh, teach us through his words. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for bringing us together this evening. God, I thank you that we can come together as your family and uh, worship you and learn from you. And we thank you for your word and for this passage that we have in front of us tonight. And we pray that you'd speak to us through it, Lord. Through it, would you be uh, showing us more of who you are and teaching us what it is to live in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the uh, church that I grew up in, there was um, this amazing couple called Peter and Bridget. And I can remember as young children, we would go with our parents to their house for lunch um, on a Sunday, fairly often after our morning service. And I can re remember many happy lunches spent with Bridget and Peter. And um, the thing I remember most about those lunches is the stories they used to tell of the visits that they regularly did out in Rwanda. And I can remember them just telling us all about the children they met, the toys they played with, the kind of life uh, these children had. And it just really inspired us all um, as uh, young children. Um, but then as I, as I grew up, I, I moved away um, from uh, where, where I um, was living. And 
I became a, a, a while later a youth pastor in Hertfordshire. And when I arrived, it turned out that the church there also had links with Rwanda. Um, and uh, when I um, was coming towards the end of my time there in February 2013, I was invited to go and spend a couple of weeks uh, with a team out there. Um, and I, didn't, I, I knew some of the people on the team. I didn't know everybody. Um, there were six of us. And I remember arriving at the guest house we were staying in. Um, and it had the best name. It was called Alleluia House. <laughs> How great is that? And we walked in. And there on the wall in front of me was a big picture of Bridget, <laughs> our friend from home, who we used to go and have Sunday lunch with. And then it turned out, as we met different people over the course of that trip, that she had had a huge impact um, in that country. Um, and so many people had so many good things to say about this wonderful lady um, that we knew as children. And I can remember going to Butari Cathedral and standing uh, there and being told that the reason the roof was there was largely because of a lot of work Bridget had done in raising funds for that to be possible. Um, and I was just struck by that because, you know, although I knew she had connections out in Rwanda, I had no idea the kind of impact that this one life had had uh, in that country. A little bit like when you throw a stone into a lake, the effect, the ripples that it has, though it might be a small stone, the effect it has on the surrounding water is huge. And in our passage today, we hear how these Thessalonian Christians are causing quite a stir as well. <laughs> the word is out about the Thessalonians and the news is spreading fast. At the time that Paul was writing, Thessalonica was a very large and influential city. But now it wasn't the strong economy or the powerful government that people were beginning to talk about, but the newfound faith of a fledgling church plant. And we're told in verse 8 that this news hadn't traveled only to Macedonia and Achaia, but to everywhere. <laughs> and Paul was overjoyed. Usually in Paul's letters, we may have one or two even paragraphs of thanksgiving at the beginning of his letters. But in Thessalonians, we find basically the first three chapters are just full of thanks and praise for this uh, new church plant uh, that he's seeing flourishing. And it's no wonder because just a while before, Paul and some of his friends had gone on a mission trip and they'd spread the gospel there. And loads of people had given their lives to Jesus whilst they were there, but they weren't able to stay long. And so they had to leave behind these new Christians with no theologically trained clergy, with no real experienced leadership. And he didn't know what state he would find them in again. So it's no wonder he's rejoicing when he hears news that these guys are alive and they are flourishing. You know, there is something pretty significant that was going on in the Thessalonian church. And I want us to have a look at what it was. Because, you know, what was it that people were talking about? What is it that Paul is rejoicing about? Because I believe that there are lessons we can learn tonight about the kind of church God is calling us, Holy Trinity, to be. And in verse 9 of this chapter, we're told what it was that they were saying. We're told how they, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. 
the first thing that they were saying about the Thessalonian church is that they had turned to the king. People were talking about how they totally changed direction, where before they were worshipping idols, now they were worshipping Jesus. And these Thessalonians weren't just speaking and singing about their newfound faith, but they had completely turned their lives around. There was nothing surface level about their faith. Something much more was significant was going on. And Paul knows what it was. In verses 4 to 5 of this chapter, he writes how it wasn't simply the power of his words that convinced them to turn to God, but the power of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts and minds. He writes, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And the word for power there literally means dynamite. It wasn't clever words or persuasive speeches that led these guys to the Lord, but the dynamite of the Holy Spirit. This is what led them to turn to the king. And just as an aside there, how freeing is that for us as we seek to share our faith with those around us? It's not all about us, but it's about God and his power working through us, his dynamite power to transform and change lives. We have a role to play, but as Paul discovered, it doesn't all depend on us. And this deep conviction, this dynamite power of the Holy Spirit resulted in life transforming change and it was the unmistakable signs of life that people were seeing in the Thessalonian church that led to people talking. This is what caused heads to turn. One minute they were walking one way and all of a sudden they totally changed direction and they were going the opposite way. This is why the fledgling church plant that Paul and his friends had been to share the gospel with wasn't just the talk of the town, but of the whole region and beyond. And we're told in, in verse 6 how instead of copying the culture they were in, they started to imitate Paul and, and his friends and ultimately God because they'd seen someone so beautiful so captivating that they wanted to be like him. This was the model that they wanted to copy now. A couple of weeks ago, I had the uh, joy of, of being taken to Paris with a good friend for my birthday. And um, we just had the most amazing time. I'd never been before. And we did all the usual kind of touristy sightseeing -y things that you do when you're in Paris. And one of the things we did was went to um, the Musée d'Orsay. I probably pronounced that entirely wrong. Um, and please forgive me. But when we were there, we saw some incredible works of art on every floor in all the different sections. If you've been, you'll know what I'm talking about. But what I was struck by when I was there was the amount of students, like art students there with their pens and their pencils and their paints copying these amazing works of art that they were looking at because they, what they saw was so beautiful, they wanted to, to replicate it, to copy it. And I guess similarly, these Thessalonians were so impacted by the message that Paul and his friends brought to them that they wanted to copy it down. But the way they did it wasn't with pen and paper and pencils. 
but in the way they lived out their lives. They let their belief affect their behavior, and people started to talk. And here at HT, we want to be a church which people are talking about, not because of our building, as wonderful as it is, or our programs, or our sound system, or our lighting, or our excellent cuisine, but because it's obvious that we are a people who have been so impacted by the life-transforming hope of Jesus that we cannot help but live in response to that and turn our lives towards the king. As we start to walk in his ways and live like we're part of his family, people will start to talk. But even as I'm saying that, even as we think about what it is to turn around towards the king, I feel challenged about areas of my life where that is a struggle, areas where I want to walk in my own direction instead of turning towards him. And maybe, even as I say that tonight, you are aware of areas of your life where you're having that same struggle, areas which haven't fully been turned towards God, where your belief hasn't quite yet affected your behavior. Well, tonight is an opportunity to turn again to the king, to surrender those things to him, because as we do, he will not reject us or walk away from us, but will walk with us and help us as we seek to copy him. Before we move on to look at the next hallmark of this Thessalonian church plant, I want us to really very briefly look at how it was these guys turned to Jesus. And we read it in verse 6. We're told that they did it even in the face of severe suffering. Even in that place, they welcomed the message with joy. Even in severe suffering, they welcomed the message with joy. And it was something that Paul and his friends were very familiar with. We can read about it um, in all of his letters. We see the, the, the struggle that they, that they found themselves in. And, and in Acts 16, um, we can read of something that happened just before he arrived in Thessalonica. Whilst he was in Philippi, Paul and his friend Silas found themselves in the depths of a Philippian prison. And around midnight, in the wee small hours of the morning, in this dingy dungeon, they start singing these hymns of praise and thanksgiving and worship to their king. Their joy spilled out in worship. They knew what it was to turn to God with joy, and these guys had started to copy them. And you know, all around the world today, there are people who, in spite of severe suffering, and persecution for their faith are choosing to turn to the Lord with joy. It was something I was so struck by earlier this year when we had Andy Worthington come and speak to us from Open Doors. He told story after story of these horrendous situations people were living in. But what is something that you just couldn't help but notice was the joy in the hearts of these people that even in spite of suffering, even though the cost was high, they were turning with joy, because it was Jesus that they were turning towards. And when we turn to Jesus, there is a joy to be found that doesn't depend on our circumstance or our situation. It is a deep, full joy 
that transforms our lives. And that is a joy that every single person in this room tonight can know as we turn to Jesus and as we have our eyes open to see the King. The first thing that these guys were talking about when the Thessalonians came up in conversation was how they were a group of people who had joyfully turned to the living God. The second thing was how they were serving the king. Whereas before they'd spent their time serving idols, now they were serving the living God. Now they were more concerned with building God's kingdom than their own. And Paul commends them in verse 3 for their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not specifically told exactly what their service was like, but in view of verses 6 to 10, it seems that Paul specifically had in mind the way they were proclaiming the message they just received at the top of their voices. You know, I love how it speaks in verses 7 to 9. It talks of how the Lord's message in verse 8 rang out from them. The Lord's message rang out from them. And that literally means like loud, like a thunderclap. They were so desperate to share their newfound faith that they shouted about it so loudly that it wasn't just the people in Macedonia and Achaia who heard it but people everywhere. They had literally taken Jesus' teaching to go and make disciples of all nations. They'd taken it seriously. And they couldn't help but speak of this newfound hope they had. And Paul and his friends, you know, they weren't having to speak and boast about this new church plant that they'd had a hand in. Other people were doing the talking for them because these guys weren't just imitators anymore. They were being imitated. They'd become a model church. Even though they were young, even though they hadn't been around for very long, they were playing an active role already in building God's kingdom. And I love that. You know, we don't have to graduate to serving God. We don't graduate to building his kingdom It starts as soon as we have our eyes opened to see Jesus and choose to turn to him. And time and time again in the Gospels, we see these amazing stories of people for whom this is true. I love the story of these two uh, blind guys who get healed and immediately run and tell everybody so that everyone in that region knows about it. Or the woman who Jesus meets at the well who has this amazing encounter and she's there in the middle of the day on her own because she doesn't want anybody to know that she's there. She was an outcast in her society. But as soon as she meets Jesus, she runs right back to the middle of the village and she tells them, come and see who I've just met. And they come and they follow and they get to meet him too. You know, like the Thessalonians, they hadn't been Christians for very long. They literally just met Jesus, but it didn't matter. The point was that they'd met the living God and they had news to share. And so do we tonight. If we have met with Jesus, we have good news to share. How loudly are we shouting? How loudly are we shouting? We don't just want the praise um, and worship to God to resound off the walls of these, this building tonight. Or when we come to worship at Risky Living on a Tuesday. But every single day of our lives. And the challenge for us is what might that look like in the places where God has called you to build his kingdom, to serve him, 
to shout about him from the rooftops in the places that God has called you to be. And, you know, praise God that we aren't facing the same level of persecution that these Thessalonians were. But there will be things that get in the way of us seeking to build God's kingdom. There is a cost to serving the king, whether it be reputation or our time or our finances or maybe even laying down some of those hopes and dreams that we have for our lives. So what was it that motivated the Thessalonians and what is it that can motivate us in the face of all these things? I think we find the answer in verse 3. Because the Thessalonians weren't doing any of this out of duty or obligation. They weren't driven by oughts or shoulds, but by an overflowing faith, an overflowing love and an overflowing hope in Jesus. Their love for him was greater than anything else. And they knew that the hope they had in him was far better than anything they could get on earth. This was their motivation. And as we turn our hearts to God and as we're captivated by his power and his love and his beauty, we won't be able to help but give our lives in service to him. You know, if we really believe that Jesus transforms lives, we'd be shouting it from the rooftops. You know, who doesn't want life to be better? I was catching up this week with the first episode of The Apprentice. I don't know if anybody's seen it, but there was this one guy in it that really made me laugh. And he was speaking about how, um, you know, he's like, I earn £175,000 at the moment um, a year, uh, but, but I want to earn five times that. I want to earn a hundred times that. You know, what he had wasn't enough. He was like, you know, if I'm going to, you know, have the best life, this is what it's all about. It's about getting as much money as I can. And as, you know, to him, a better life was about finances and money. But as Pastor Antoine, who was here last week, taught us, Jesus is the only one who can bring true transformation. And wouldn't it be amazing if HT was known as a place in which this life-transforming message rang out, not just from this building, but in the lives of every single one of us who are gathered here tonight. Just think what a noise we would make across this city. If we were living lives in such a way that people were literally queuing up outside the door to come and find out about this Jesus that we know and that has changed our lives. You know, if that were the case, the self-help section in Waterstone's bookshop would suffer. (laughs) But people would find the God who's come to help his people. And that is what God's calling us to do. To be a church committed to serving his kingdom, not just on a Sunday, but every day of our lives, in our workplaces, our colleges, our schools, wherever it is that we find ourselves, to live lives that ring out with the message of the gospel, and the way we spend our time, our money, the way we use our words. These are all ways that we can be building God's kingdom and serving our king. People were talking about how they turned to the king. People were talking about how the Thessalonians served the king. And finally, they were talking about how these guys were waiting expectantly for their king to come back. This Thessalonian church plant knew that the king was coming back. And they were waiting expectantly for him. 
And it wasn't a passive kind of waiting, like when you're waiting for a bus that might never turn up. <laughs> it was the kind of waiting, like when you're waiting for Christmas, you know it's coming. And so you get ready for it. You buy presents, you write cards, you, you, you get the food ready for the day. It's still too early, in my opinion, to be doing any of those things. <laughs> Unless you go into the Christmas section of John Lewis, and then you might have another, <laughs> another idea. Um, but, you know, with active waiting, you live in a way that reflects what it is you're waiting for. And for these Thessalonians, they were living like the king really was going to come back. This is why they turned to God. This is why they were serving him despite huge persecution. It wasn't in vain, but because they knew that King Jesus was coming back, that his kingdom was the one that would last for eternity. And throughout this letter, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians not to give up because Jesus is coming back. And in places in the world where there is persecution and suffering, the expectant waiting for Christ's return is so much more of a reality. I can still remember a couple of years ago preaching in Zambia on a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I was speaking about the hope that um, we have in God who will deliver us. I was speaking about the hope that is stronger than death, a hope that isn't just for this life, but goes beyond the grave. And I literally have never experienced anything like it. As I was speaking, people were cheering and shouting and amening left, right, and center. And I think the reason they were doing it was because they were celebrating a greater reality than the one that they were currently living in. What they were experiencing now wasn't how things were always to be. And they had every reason to rejoice over that truth. But I think in our more comfortable culture, we can forget this. We can settle for what we've got, forgetting that we have that same living hope, an inheritance more precious and valuable than anything we could ever find here on this earth. The reality for us of Jesus coming back can sometimes become no more than words in a creed or a line in a song. But it's so much more than that. You know, if we knew that the Queen was coming to visit HT, I'm sure we would spend many weeks getting ready for it. I can guarantee that as a staff team, we would have logistics meetings left, right and center. We'd have clearing parties for the church, which there's barely anything even in it because it's brand new. But we would make sure that everything was ready. And I think that in a similar way, if we really knew that Jesus, our King, was coming back, it would completely change the way we live. We'd turn our focus to him completely. We'd throw our all into serving his kingdom because we know that despite what social media tells us or what we read in the newspapers or laws that governments are making to make living for Jesus hard, he is the king that will reign forever. His is the kingdom that will endure. His is the name that one day every knee will bow to. And he is the one who is going to take his bride, the church, home to be with him forever. So though these guys were only baby Christians in Thessalonica, a fledgling church in the middle of a powerful city, they're a model for us to follow. Because I believe that as we seek to turn towards God, as we seek to serve his kingdom and build his kingdom in the places that he's called us to be, and as we actively wait for him to come back, 
people will notice. Jesus' name will ring out loudly across this city and more people will come and be part of his family. Let's pray.